This is an ABC podcast. Hey ladies, this episode deals with death, suicide and grief. Please hit pause if you're feeling fragile and as always, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 if you need some help. To say late husband, people sort of look at you and go, oh, you can't possibly be a widow or were you married to some, you know, super old dude? Life quite literally couldn't get better. Our future was just kind of happening in front of us and it was just like kind of a dream. Adam woke me up at about 4.30, really struggling to breathe and I turned the light on and he's just he was just saying, help, help, help. You grieve not only the person but the potential futures and the, you know, the kids and the growing old together and the, all of those kind of journeys as well. I genuinely feel sometimes that he will just walk through the door and give me this big hug, like I just don't know when it's going to sink in or feel real that he's, he's really gone. I caught up with my elderly aunt the other day. She'd had to put a death notice in the newspaper and was annoyed by how few people had read it. I confess that I never read the death notices myself. She said, well, at my age, you're a fool not to. When you're young, you're just not expecting anyone you know to die. It's a different story when you're in your 80s like my auntie is. So what happens if you're still young and that number one person, the special love that you searched the world for and pinned down, that one you expected to love till you were old dies early. I'm Yumi Steins. Ladies, we need to talk about being a young widow. When you hear the word widow, what comes to mind? An old lady dressed in black, hunched at the shoulders, blowing her nose or an old woman familiar with tragedy scouring the death notices whose wrinkles map her decades of life. Elodie Pullen is the opposite. She's young, tall and fit with sun-bleached long hair made wavy from a life spent in salt water. Her life partner, the man she calls her big love, Aussie snowboarding champion Alex Chumpy Pullen, died suddenly in 2020. He left one morning to go spearfishing and never came back. We slept in that morning. We kind of spent the morning in bed together. I went for a walk. Chumpy went down to the beach spearfishing and and I um, got home and my neighbour came over and she was like, I've just read the Facebook page at Palm Beach. Someone's been dragged in and I know Chumpy was out there diving. And a straight away, I, I literally kind of just laughed and I was like, thanks, but it's, it's not going to be Chump, obviously. Like, it just wouldn't be. Pretty much went down there and there was all news and cops and ambulances and everything. And I was still kind of like, surely this isn't Chumpy. Like, I just, I just don't believe it. I remember this policeman said, did he have any tattoos on his chest and I just nearly died and I said yeah he has an axe a big axe on his chest and this guy just could not look at me he just looked away and I was literally only with him an hour and a half before and we were just having the best morning together 
It's assumed that Chumpy had what's called a shallow water blackout. It's basically fainting underwater and it's most common amongst super fit, highly experienced free divers and spearfishers. I honestly think potentially, like I'll never know, but maybe he was under there and he saw a big fish when he probably should have come up for air, but he was like, I'm feeling fine under here and probably just one second too long and lights out and because he had a weight belt on, he wasn't going to float if he, he obviously blacked out under there and just went to sleep and... Yeah, and he was alone. He, he wasn't diving with a friend that day. Where are you at right now, Elodie? Um, where I'm at, yeah, I jumped from being in like complete kind of autopilot mode to uh, I just don't even know. I kind of like, I honestly find refuge in the shock and the kind of autopilot mode because what else comes in between those moments can actually be quite debilitating. But pretty much my grief at the moment is not for me. It's kind of for Chumpy and his future and, I guess, collectively our future. He had so many goals and aspirations and he couldn't wait to be a dad. We were trying for a baby. We had, you know, we would choose our baby names. We'd talk about what kind of parents we want to be, where we want to travel, what we want to do with our lives And it's like everything's just gone black. What does it feel like, that grief? How would you describe grief to an alien? Mm. Some days I'll go go through days feeling nothing and the next day you'll feel so triggered by literally anything. You'll see two toothbrush, like his toothbrush and my toothbrush sitting there and it'll just kill me. And sometimes I'll feel nothing. So, yes, I definitely feel like I need to just, like, slap myself and just be like, wake up, he's gone, this is this is shit, this is your life now, like, what are you going to do? Not like, I obviously I, I know I'm a widow, but I'm not like in the mirror going, you're a widow, sucked in. <laughs> <laughs> For most people, and I, I, there are so many exceptions, of course, but most of us who are young, who are in that lovely young love phase, we haven't really had much to do with death. I definitely had had no one. I, I'd obviously had grandparents who were old die. That's hard, but nothing compared to this. So the fact that he's gone, like in a second as well, one second here, the next second gone. Like we had, it was crazy that day that that happened and I was in such denial because I was like, we have shit to do this afternoon. We've got meetings. We've got friends coming up. We've got a party on this weekend. Like, we're busy. I, we're, he's not gone. He's we're bu- He knows we got things on. Like, that was literally what was going through my head. It sounds like you're still looking for him. I think I am. I sit at home and I just um, sometimes honestly think I just won't, I won't even be surprised if he just walks in the door. Like, I don't know when that's going to wear off. I'm, I really just don't know what's coming. I think nothing's linear with grief. I'm just literally putting one foot in front of the other, just trying to navigate each day, and I'm just trying to get through, really. Grief is unique to each of us. It's not just about emotions. It's much, much bigger than that. This is Dr Lauren Breen. She's an associate professor in the School of Psychology at Curtin University. She's been researching and working in the field of grief for 20 years. Dr Lauren says there's a strong belief in our culture that grief is something that happens quite intensely and quickly, and then it's done. A lot of people are very surprised and they say things like, 
the second year was actually worse than the first year because I thought that I was meant to be over it by now. Sometimes those very strong ideas that we have about grief can actually, I guess, have an impact negatively on people because they feel that they're not doing it the right way or something is wrong with them. Lauren, what does grief look like? I guess a lot of the things that people might think of as grief is that it would be primarily an emotional reaction, but we know that's actually not the case. It's much more, I guess, what we would consider multidimensional. So absolutely it affects how we feel, but it also affects how we think. It affects our social interactions. It can have an impact on our finances. It can have an impact on our spirituality and the questions we have about life and meaning. It's not just about emotions. It's much, much bigger than that. There's definitely no timeline where suddenly you have to achieve closure and move on from it and, you know, that's done and dusted and you put them in a cupboard and that's it. That's not the case at all. And In fact, it's better to think about it perhaps as something that we learn to adapt to and accommodate into our lives. It was really up to us to try and figure out what our new normal was, what was our new daily life like now that we didn't have dad. Joe Ridding is a mum of two. Joe's husband Adam died a couple of years ago. He was truly an amazing man. He was so invested in his family and so supportive and focused on his kids. Adam had been getting treatment for cancer, but at that point his health was relatively stable and they thought he'd be okay. I was at a girlfriend's on the the Friday night and um, I came home, it was normal, went to bed and Adam woke me up at about 4.30, really struggling to breathe and I turned the light on and he's just, he was just saying, help, help, help. I called Triple O and two ambulances arrived and they continued CPR and injections of adrenaline, but unfortunately... After about half an hour or 40 minutes, um, he couldn't be revived. Did the kids sleep through all this? They did, yes. When uh, I was out in the landing, just out um, our bedroom where the ambulance people were still in with Adam and I could hear that the kids, um, whose bedroom was just, you know, five metres from where I was, coming towards the door. So I had to usher them back into their room so that I could have a quiet moment with them and explain to them what had happened. They were nine at the time. Your twins are a boy and a girl. Did you feel like you had to hide your sadness from them? Oh, I did. I did because um, it was very hard for me to not get upset as well. And I could see that every time I did get upset, they closed off. They didn't want to continue the conversation because they could see that it was upsetting for me. And it took us a little while to get to a good place where they understood that it was okay for me to be upset and it was also okay for them to be upset and it really wasn't them that was upsetting me. It was just the conversation. Joe's son started to take on too much responsibility. He took on the role of the protector and his job was to look after me, which was the opposite of what I wanted for him. So he really didn't express any emotions at all for the first 12 months. So that allowed Zoe and I to, you know, let loose and have our big 
uh, emotional outbursts. And we got to a, a, a stage where, you know, the three of us were pretty level and, and we were able to talk about Dad without crying and we were able to laugh at things that Dad had done. And then all of a sudden Noah started to get quite angry and I could see a, a big adjustment in his behaviour and he was really pissed off that the world had taken his dad away from him and he couldn't understand why it was his family and not another family. And from that point on, he's continued to be more aware of his emotions. He's He's been pretty stable for the last probably month or six weeks, but his, um, his emotional meltdowns have been massive compared to Zoe because he bottled it up for so long. What do you miss the most? I miss waking up with him every morning. Um, He was the most amazing husband and I never had to question his love for me and I would wake up every morning. He'd have his arm around me. He would give me a kiss and say good morning and He always made me feel so loved and adored and I think it's those personal things that were just between him and I. No one else filled that part of my life. It was just, it was solely him. Losing your person is devastating. It's painfully lonely to be a young person grieving, but that loneliness can be compounded by the quite unexpected judgement of others. A study by Dr Lauren Breen and her colleagues found that there are a range of almost unhinged responses to young widows that can make their time even harder. Young widows elicited very strong negative emotional reactions by the public. So if you're a young widow and you're going about your day and people around you perhaps are feeling quite fearful or even um, angry at you and your circumstances... Hold on, people are angry at grieving young widows? But why? I think partly it's self-protective because we like to think that things happen for a reason and that there's meaning in life. So the idea that someone could just drop dead or get an awful disease and die at a young age, we like to think that person deserved it in some way. There must be a bigger story, a bigger reason about why that happened because certainly that could never happen to me. So in some ways it's psychologically protective to think of ourselves as somehow different uh, or more special from those people where this awful thing has happened to them. There's still such a stigma in our society around suicide. Nikki was 28 when her husband, Dav, took his own life. After his death, Nikki found that she not only had to deal with her own grief, but with the discomfort of others. People don't understand. They have no reference point, so they tend to run away or shy away from it or, you know, I think in the back of their head might be something like, oh, but what did she do wrong? Like, they can't imagine it for themselves and don't want to imagine it for themselves. It started off as a normal work day and later that afternoon I got a call from the police to let me know that they were at my house ready to talk to me and my husband had taken his own life earlier that afternoon. What do you remember about the early days after your husband's death? I think in those early days it was definitely a a combination of shock and anger and confusion. 
you know, all the why didn't I see this coming or all of those sort of things and you grieve not only the person but the potential futures and the, you know, the kids and the growing old together and the, all of those kind of journeys as well that you you don't have with that person anymore. It's tricky because I think, and, and the whole young widow element of when people see me, it's like, oh, you can't possibly be a widow. I'm like, well, yeah, I can. And then they go, oh, but you weren't married very long, so, you know, you'll get over it and you'll find someone new and yada, yada, yada. Whereas when when someone older loses their, their person, the answer is, oh, but at least you had a long and happy life together. So either way, they, they people can, you know, well-meaningly try and minimise the experience and the pain, regardless of how long it's been. Like many young widows, her husband's death thrust Nikki into a huge learning curve about, well, death. Identifying the body, planning a whole funeral, writing a eulogy and knowing what to say and then saying it out loud in front of everyone, sorting out the will and going through Dav's things were points on a timeline that she just never imagined she'd need to know how to do anytime soon. And in the doing, Nikki made a discovery about their finances. He had a number of loans in in his own name, thankfully, that I didn't know about. And it was just a big moment of, you know, broken trust and betrayal that added to what I'd already been feeling. So, wow. So I guess the thing that's weird about that or confronting about that is your partner dies and then you discover something about them that you didn't know. Yeah. And you can't, you can't have those conversations after the fact. You don't get those answers and you have to, in yourself, come to terms with the fact that you're not going to get those answers. Whether it's secret spending or other mysteries unearthed after death, grief expert Dr Lauren has a suggestion for how to have it out with your loved one after they're gone. When people die, we can learn things about them and sometimes it's lovely things. Sometimes we find out things that can be quite upsetting or disturbing about that person too. And there isn't a way to have that discussion with them about it or to yell at them about it. So you can think of other ways to do that. Can you have a conversation with them? Can you write a letter to them? And what would you say if you could write that letter? I love that idea of writing a letter. Mm. Yeah, it can be really, really powerful. And then what do you do with the letter? Do you toss it on a fire or something? Yeah, I mean, you probably don't want to frame it and put it on the wall, but yeah, you could <laughs> you could toss it, toss it in the fire or you could then rip it up. You could have some kind of ceremony about it. Whatever is meaningful and helpful for that person, I think. What about when it comes to meeting someone new, perhaps, and starting to delve into the world of romance and dating? Yeah. What are the expectations for young widows? In many ways, probably you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Whatever you do, someone will have an opinion that it's, you know, too early or not. You should be out there doing things and not not stuck at home or whatever. And that goes the same for relationships and dating as well. I think it's important just to, you know, what's important for me? What do I need? If it's working for that person, maybe we can be a little less judgmental. The young widows we spoke to for this episode said they heard from a lot of people about what they should be doing after the death of their partner. Elderly Pullen has had people come up to her with some real clangers. There is definitely people that overstep the mark. I actually did recently have someone who who kind of did that thing where they're like, are you Elodie? I just want to give you a big hug. But then straight away she was like, 
look, I knew a widow and she let it kind of ruin her life and she and she was like, you're, you're a young widow, don't dwell on this for too long, you need to move on. You, these are your baby-making years, like don't stop, keep going, you need to find someone, you need to make a baby. People, yeah, people say the most stupid things. Mm. I mean, and, and I know they think it's, it's coming from a good place but they don't realise how it affects you. Joe agrees that thoughtless remarks can really cut deep. It's really hard to ignore those comments, not just to me but to my family, about the way I was managing my grief, about the way I was managing the children's grief, my decisions about going back to work when I would go back to work. Can you help us understand the specifics? Like what were people saying? That I was depressed that there was nothing wrong with my kids, that I was, you know, creating dramas with the children, that I should have the children back at school, I shouldn't be keeping them home, the kids don't need to go to a psychologist, I need to just, you know, move on with my life, I need to go back to work. Just the the expectation that the funeral was done, that, yes, it was sad that Adam had passed away, but pull your socks up, move on with your life, it's fine. You know, what's done is done now. You need to move forward. Those people had put my family in that situation where they were now feeling guilty and it was just unnecessary comments because they haven't been on a a journey like this. They haven't had their life ripped apart. They don't actually know how they would react in that situation, yet they thought it was appropriate to provide feedback on what we were doing and how we were managing So how do we help our grieving loved ones? What is actually helpful? Dr Lauren Breen again. So many bereaved people say the most meaningful thing is when others are just there for me. And it's really hard to try and turn that into a concrete sort of list of suggestions about thinking about it more from what is it that that person needs as opposed to what do I need to do or what what works for me or how can I reduce my own discomfort even when it might be uncomfortable or you might do a messy cry or whatever it might be that's better than ignoring it or running away from people when you see them at the supermarket or whatever so a bit more I guess focusing on approaching that person and supporting that person as opposed to thinking about our own discomfort and then walking away. And if you're currently reeling from the loss of your partner and your imagined future, what helped our young widows might help you too. After the suicide of her husband, Dav, Nikki treated counsellors and online forums like a smorgasbord. Find all the support networks that you, that you can sink your teeth into and, and, and spread that load if you want. And, and find something that gets you out of bed every morning. And mine was my house. Lots of people were like, should you be building a house in the middle of grief? I'm like, yep, because it's a great distraction. It's a great motivator. The thing that, you know, I, I've really learned is that, yes, it's it, there's grief and it's terrible and it's really, really hard. But there's also a big period of, of I guess, post-traumatic growth and you find new things. I built a house I that, you know, I wouldn't have done, wouldn't have gone to Europe with friends, wouldn't have done so many things now and and that's weird too because it's exciting and awesome and I wouldn't give it up for the world now but it also almost separates us more there's more experiences that haven't had him attached to them and it's yeah it's strange 
Jo and her kids are still figuring out their new normal since the death of Adam, but she wants other young widows to know that they're not alone. I just thought if I can talk about it and talk about my challenges and my struggles, that it might help someone else normalise their challenges and their struggles in their journey. And also acknowledge that every journey is different. Some of us seek out psychologists, some of us don't, some of us talk to our girlfriends, some of us don't. And it's a very personal thing to go through. And I I think the more it's talked about, the more reference points we're going to have. And maybe one reference point will be, you know, similar to the journey that we're on, that we can take a little bit of guidance from. It doesn't matter how you travel through it, the fact that you just get up every day and and hope for the best and try and give your children the best life that you possibly can, hopefully as close to the life that you had envisaged for them when you were a family. And would you believe it, Elodie Pullen has a ray of hope in her otherwise horrendous year. I actually am carrying Chompy's baby right now, obviously through IVF. I'm so excited. It's it's. It's been a super emotional journey, obviously, all the hormones on top of my grief. Having this baby is so exciting. I feel this little chumpy heartbeat inside of me, but I'm also like, this kid's not going to have a dad and I'm really going through this. And this is such great news. The only person I want to call and tell is him. I want him at my scans. He would be so excited to be there for all of these little moments. Like this was our, This was our dream and I'm living it and he's not here. But didn't want to stand still. I want, I want to keep living our dream and have our family. So, yeah, that's, that's my news. Wow. <laughs> if you're a young widow, we really hope you've gotten something out of hearing stories from other young widows. In common, the women we spoke to all really enjoyed talking about their loved one who died. So don't feel shy to bring him or her into the conversation if you're in a support role here. The love doesn't die when a person does. And don't forget, if this episode has brought up big feelings for you and you need someone to talk to, Lifeline is on 13114. There are also some great grief resources in the show notes. We'd love to hear your feedback about anything at any time. Send us an email, ladies at abc.net.au. Thanks for listening. It's been lovely having your company. Ladies is mixed by Anne-Marie de Betancourt. It's produced by Tamar Cranswick. Supervising producer is Alex Lolbach and our executive producer is Justine Kelly. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. And while you're here, Parental as Anything is a podcast hosted by Maggie Dent that has a wonderful and heartbreaking episode all about kids and death if you're looking for ways to help little ones deal with grief. You'll meet Maddie, who had to support her children while coping with her own unimaginable grief after her youngest son died. I remember being at the hospital and as they were breaking, well, trying to lead us down the garden path that Dino might not actually get through this, um, some of the nurses kept asking, you know, do you have other children? Do you have other children? And I would say, yeah, but I need this child. He's my boy. You know, I, I of course I do. In hindsight, I think what they were alluding to and what they were checking in with themselves is, She's got others to get her through this. 
Find Parental As Anything on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.